death is around us all the time, you know, but how do we help people, you know, appreciate life more? So in order to create influence, you need to be at a certain level, right? And I always wanted that. I believe that food in general, it is the number one most healing thing for your body. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with our awesome sponsors, The Megaverse. I'll tell you more about them later. But first, over the last few months, I have been working at losing weight. I've been to the gym regularly for the last few years, but I haven't been able to shift that weight. So I decided to embark on getting an accountability person, a nutritionist basically, to look at my food, look at what I'm eating and help me on my way. And she is today's guest of the show. So I am a living example of the work that she does. Let me tell you about her. Mary Christine is a guiding force in the realms of holistic healing and well-being. Mary's journey is one of resilience, self-discovery, and an unwavering commitment to empowering others on their transformative paths. Her story from personal struggles to empowering others is truly inspiring. Driven by a deep-seated desire to guide individuals towards optimal well-being, Mary's mission has been evolved through personal experience, a quest for ancient practices, and a profound realization of the mind, body, and soul connection. Today we're going to explore her journey and understand how she got into the world of nutrition and the impact she's had on so many people in the corporate space, more importantly than anywhere else. CEOs, C-suite guys, guys that are running businesses, people under huge amounts of stress and pressure on a regular basis. Those types of people are Mary's key market. She wants to de-stress people. She wants to help people lose weight, get rid of gut health problems and live a healthier life. And I know for sure every one of us at some point in our life has experienced some of these issues. I really am looking forward to sharing her story with you. You're really going to love her. Let's tune in right now. Cue the music for Mary Christine. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Are you really? So excited. <laughs> now, having you on the show is quite interesting for me because... There's a big change that's happened in my life over the course of the last few months since meeting you. And um, yeah, I, I, I was talking to Alex earlier about nutrition and, and the importance of it. And I didn't really have a huge amount of interest in it. It was kind of like a, a secondary subject after being kind of like fit and healthy. And it always, it always seemed to me like... Um, like some form of punishment that I was going to have to go through. You know, nutrition doesn't sound like it tastes nice. You know, nutrition doesn't sound like it's fun. And to be honest with you, as we both know, it wasn't a fun experience at the beginning. 
But then when I started to get results, that's what really triggered me and started me to get excited about it and, and, and the benefit that I could get from it. And, and then I started to realize the importance of it over and above everything else that I do. So thank you for coming into my life and helping me with that. You're very welcome. I'm really happy that I managed to help you change. So the reason you're on the show is number one, because if you can do it with me, you can do it with anyone. Okay. And number two, I want people to really understand what's involved. I want to look at the, the kind of risks that people attach to this kind of stuff and the kind of challenges maybe businesses face as well when they don't take nutrition, gut health, and really kind of live in the best way we can seriously. Uh, a lot of the time it's kind of skipped over. It's, it's skirted over. It's kind of like, oh, we'll have, we'll have fruit bowls in the office. You know, there's our contribution or, you know, every Friday we'll get everyone a salad or I don't know, some, something that's a token gesture rather than a full commitment. And I think that's because, number one, it sounds too hard. And number two, the results can't be seen quickly. And number three, is it really worth it if you can't persuade people to do it? So, Mary, just talk to me about how you got into nutrition. After all, I'm the one sitting here as the benefit of you being an expert and someone really committed to the area. So how did that journey start for you? I have always been someone that loved to help people anyway, but I think the like the flip in, in the switch, let's just say, in my life was when uh, my father got sick. So I was in uni at that time, and um, you know, he was only 58 when he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, stage three. And uh, what I found really frustrating about this particular topic especially was that my father was going every three to six months for a checkup. You know, and to find it at stage three is the one that frustrated me the most because he was already peeing blood, for example. You know, he was already having some kind of symptoms, but they weren't able to detect anything. They were just saying like, you know, here's your paper. You can go home and you're completely fine. It was only when he started developing way, you know, difficult symptoms that they start be like, yeah, you have you have cancer now. So. Can you imagine what shock that was for our family? It was difficult because I wasn't living here and uh, extremely difficult because he is like my pillar of strength. He was someone that I loved and still love the most. So, you know, doing the journey from from the UK, studying and then coming back here while he was getting while he was getting his treatments was really difficult for me to concentrate at school and then also to not be, not be really fully present at school because most of the time my presence was really like how how do I help my father? You know, so... Um, what, what kind of a man was your dad? An incredible man. I think, like, a lot of the, like, the traits that I have is really from my dad. Like, he's selfless. He's super caring. He's compassionate. He loves his family. Like, he was a family man. And I think that's the reason why, you know, my values and my ethics when it comes to my own family, you know, and raising my son, for example, is, is, is that same way. It's because I got that from him. You know, I value, I value relationships, I value honesty, I value um, loyalty and all those things. It's because my father was like that when he raised us, so. And did he, did he have, you know, was he, did he drink? Did he smoke? Did he, was he obese? Was there anything like that in your dad that? Yeah, he had an addiction, definitely. And uh, I mean, a lot of people that end up getting sick usually have some sort of an addiction to something, you know? So he was a, a smoker. He's been smoking for a long time and also a really heavy drinker. But uh, on the flip side of that is that even though he was all of those things, he was never disrespectful, violent, or any of those things that would normally be a part of someone that would drink a lot. You so. say that because you think people expect 
that to be synonymous with the drinker and yeah. the smoker. I don't believe that for you one don't? minute. No, because there's many people that my, I believe my parents are functional alcoholics, to be honest with you, and great, they're yeah. the friendliest people in the world. Yeah. So you've got this, this, this example, your dad is is this fantastic human being, he's kind and he's, he's selfless, yet he's got his own demons with alcohol and cigarettes. That's his, probably his stress reliever or something that goes on for him. When you were young, did you drink and smoke? Um, I did not smoke because I grew up with a father that just smoked all the time. So that's really something that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So because of how much smoke that I had to go endure at home every single day, I just detested that smell. Mm -hmm. I can't be around people that smoke. Mm -hmm. I can't be in a vicinity of smoke. It's because it's just like so traumatizing, mm -hmm. that experience. Do you have something like that too? Like your parents were smokers too? So My parents weren't smokers, but they drink, okay. they just drink. They, there's always a bottle of wine open. Oh, okay. And so did you ever have this whole like, relationship with alcohol because you saw your father your parents yes yeah, so like my early years i didn't drink then i had then i drank for a while and now i don't hardly ever drink at all and and for me it's just like why do people need to drink and uh, I, I don't get that i don't get what the what the the real benefit is right. and uh, the, the, and what i don't like is the denial you know it's that like i don't drink and i'm like well you drink a bottle of wine a day that that's a lot you know if i drank a bottle of wine i wouldn't be able to walk down my stairs so to me that you know that doesn't make a lot of sense so when we understand your situation, t tell me how your father passing away from these illnesses that were to some degree caused by his own habits, how that impacted you and your thinking for your type of lifestyle moving forward? You know, I think anything that happens to everyone has a very different reaction. You know, we're four siblings. My youngest sister is six years old. She went on a complete, like she just stopped talking for a whole year. Uh -huh. For me, it was a lot of like, regret, anger, frustration, helplessness, hopelessness, because, you know, you want to do so much more, but you can't, you're not even in the capability to do it, mm -hmm. you know, financially and so on. So yeah, it was, it was a very traumatic experience. It took me a really long time to heal from that. And I thought at the moment, I kind of rebelled, I'd say, I went back to uni and I kind of just got into absolutely everything, you know, hung out with friends, did all the things any teenager would, never listened to my mother. You know all those kind of things because like you you find an outlet to take to take out a lot of the things that you're feeling bad about and for me it was like just trying to forget that pain and what most people do in any traumatic situation is it's same as P ptsd right you you just you block it in your subconscious and you don't think about it anymore and then as you get older and there's trigger points that trigger you they come back mm -hmm. so um, i think i blocked it for a really long time and i and i was a very young mom so at 22, I already had a son. And, um, you know, my focus was just primarily on just my son. So your dad passes away just after your son's born. That's right, yeah. He was so one month old. literally there's a month over crossover. And you've got to, the joy of just having this baby that's come into your life plus the pain of dad going. That must have been really, really tough. Yeah, it was pretty tough because, you know, like, I was really young, and so I'm, you'd think like your early 20s, you're still a kid yourself, you know, you're still trying to navigate your own life. And like any young mom, you have to grow up too fast, and you have to be mature, and you need to take responsibility. And the one thing that my father always taught me was hard work and dedication and commitment to what you do. And I've always wanted to be a good parent. So my focus for the longest time, and my son is in his 20s now, was always trying to be a good mom. So my father, the one thing that my father cared about the most is reputation. 
and I wanted to I wanted to give my son like a good like I don't know like I'd say like look at look at me as, as to be proud even though you're like a single mom you're not just out partying every single night as a 20 year old like I just was focused on work and raising my son and I did that for most of my 20s okay so you could have done anything you could have pursued many different careers many different directions but you got into nutrition I want to know how okay so I had an eating disorder when I was younger like okay. any teenager who always like wanted to fit in or look different or be different or be liked by boys or what was it for me well, yeah your eating disorder. um it was definitely like wanting to be accepted because no no what was your eating disorder that was wanting to be accepted oh oh sorry um so my eating disorder was um i wouldn't eat so it was definitely anorexia so i would just stop eating i wouldn't eat for weeks and days and i uh, and i spent most of my 20s and even part of my 30s like still trying to recover from that so like I've always cared about weight and and like looking good and feeling good in what way I've always wanted to be a size zero like that mattered to me so till this till today I'm a size zero I've never been above a zero until when I was pregnant of course but <laughs> then like I cared about that and that's been always something in my have been in my in my brain since I was younger. So the eating disorder happened and then obviously losing my father. And then the one thing that I could control when I lost my dad was my weight. The one thing that anyone can control when they have an eating disorder because they can't control anything else in their life, they control their weight. And that's the reason why they do it is because of that very reason, right? There's just many external factors that you can't control. You could have been abused as a child, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. Things are not going your way, heartbreak, trauma. You can control food, and that's the one thing that you would. So there's there's two sides to that. You could either end up using food as an outlet, so you eat a lot, or you could be like me who just doesn't eat anything at all. Lots of people listening or watching this right now saying, yeah, the eat a lot one I got, but the not eating anything at all would be perfect. Yeah. But, but that's, that's challenging for a lot of people. But you got it. So did, with that eating disorder then did, and not eating for so many years, did that mean you then spent time studying that subject? Or yeah, because was I... Was it by accident? No, I, I've cared about health. Like I, when my father passed away, I wanted to just study about cancer. Like I cared so much about trying to understand why he got that, how he got that, could we have saved him? Is it conventional medicine the problem? Because you know the diagnosis didn't come till much later on. People in my surroundings, and I was a young mom, so I cared about you know what went into my in my son's food. And from a very young age, my son had gut-related issues already. You know, and it's crazy because I never had any gut related issues per se, even though I had an eating disorder, I was always okay in my gut, you know, but my son always had intolerances to everything. He was allergic to a lot of things, always had problems. And then he developed tics, which was a massive issue for me. And as a young mom who knew nothing about motor tics, it's like a mild form of Tourette's. That is when I went like, completely like health overload, checking everything online. Because when I took him to a doctor, uh, they told him they prescribed him Prozac at the age of six. Wow. So that's when I was just like, there's something wrong with conventional medicine and the way that they do things. Because really, for a young mom who probably at that time knew nothing about health in the way that I, sh you know, a lot of people in the health place know about health, 
um, prescribing this, and as a young mom who, who would probably gullible would be like, sure, if the doctor says I need to take it, I should just give it to my son. Which, by the way, in many instances, I work with a lot of those people today who do those things, who just listen to conventional doctors and, and, do, and do those things. So then I went home and I was just like, what's going on? His tics became really extreme, Spencer, like really extreme to the point, like head jerks, head tilt, sounds, shoulder jerks. You know, like I tried everything. I, I Googled things and tried to understand, you know, magnesium deficiency, a neurological problem. Anyone that develops motor tics is obviously a neurological problem. You know, the function between the neurotransmitters in your brain is not connecting well to the other nerves in your, in your body. And that's why you do those movements. Um, so then I read an article that said by the age of 12, if those ticks are not gone, he would end up having them for life. So then that obviously freaked me out. So I tried everything. I tried to change his diet. He wasn't getting better. Long story short, I found something in a vitamin component that was a composition of the right kinds where when I gave it to him, within that week, he started doing the ticks. Really? When I, when I, remove, when I removed those, those vitamins from him, he started doing them again. So I thought like, maybe there was something in the composition of these vitamins, they're from the UK, by the way, these, these particular vitamins, that's what's making it go away. So I gave it to him again, and then he would stop it completely. So I decided to give him that for, for three months. I take him off that the ticks would come back. So I kept him on that for a good four years. He was hating me, by the way. Because mm -hmm. imagine a kid at six years old constantly having to pop pills. There was one point that would give him the chewable version of that because he didn't want to take it anymore. But I think it was because of that and my constant research and the care and effort that I put into trying to understand his issue that I saved him from that. The reason I tell you the story is because many years later, I met someone who was much older in their 20s who actually has these, who had the same ticks as him. And then I looked at him and then I then met his mother and his mother for the longest time didn't know how to deal with it when he was younger. And I always felt that if moms or parents just put in as much effort as they could for trying to understand certain symptoms that their kids had, that maybe they would have been lucky as I did with Austin and that he just got healthy and got better and now he has no signs of that. I've got to know you over the last few months. This is the first time I've heard this. Yeah, I, so. don't talk, I don't talk about that story. Tell me more. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided that health was going to be my thing. I really loved it. I really loved doing it, helping people, researching about it. I knew that there was something just wrong in the conventional medicine system. And I needed to find a way to help people heal naturally. If I could do it for my son, I could do it for other people. So while I was working in corporate, and I worked in a corporate space for in a law firm actually for over a decade. Uh, my main focus in corporate was trying to fix mental health issues because most people working in law firms always are high strung, high stress, high cortisol levels, can't deal with, with uh, their mental health. They're always breaking down. It's a really, really tough environment to be in, especially when you make it to senior associate and partner level. To get to that level, most associates do everything to get to that level. And I work with them, you know, day in, day out. So it's really tough. Um, when my son moved to go and live with his dad was when I decided I really wanted to focus on, on health primarily. So then I took up all my certifications. I decided I, this is what I wanted to do. And I haven't looked back since. It's the best thing that I've ever done uh, for myself. I believe that I've healed a lot of my own personal traumas by working with so many people and helping them heal theirs. 
What kind of feeling do you get when you make that difference? You know, it's like it's like anybody that goes out there and tries to make a difference for other people's life. It's that same feeling. What do you do? What do you feel when you help people? Yeah, I feel amazing. Yeah, yeah on top of the world. And, and and how do you think it makes me feel when I help you feel amazing? Well, when you, for the benefit of everyone that's listening and watching, you've helped me for the last few months, and every time we have a win you seem to celebrate it harder than me. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you're happier than me. Yeah. You know, I'm happy, but yeah, but you you really cheer me on and uh, and focus on that. What's the goal? 80 kilos and sticky toffee pudding as a prize. <laughs> and I think it's also because I really love sticky toffee pudding and I never really have it. So I'm like, this is a perfect excuse to have sticky toffee pudding. <laughs> but I think the reason why I also celebrate a lot of people's success in that sense is because I know how hard it is to get there. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. And a lot of people who look at other people who have gained a lot of weight, have zero compassion for them because they don't really understand the struggles it takes for people to want to lose that weight. It's really tough. It's a mental game. For most people, they just don't have that mental resilience to lose the weight. So every kg down for people that end up losing it, it's a massive win for me because I know how difficult it is. The way that I see it in my mind is the weight gain is subconscious, the weight lost, loss is conscious. Yes. And so the subconscious, you're not thinking about it the conscious you really are and you need to have grit and determination day after day after day to get somewhere and you know I've been going to the gym for many years now because of my mental health I need to work out and feel good but I haven't been losing the weight I've been fit and healthy no argument there but I haven't lost the weight and I've tried okay I've tried but what I what I learned is that I needed to be accountable to someone and I just put it into the same category as my personal trainer. He's there every day at five o'clock. I'm not letting him down, okay? I'm gonna be there. I, I will not not show up. And so I know Monday to Friday, that's where I've gotta be. People say, why do you get up at 4.30? You don't, but everybody else says, why do you get up that early, you're nuts? And it's like, because I will not let him down. And I feel that he won't let me down either. And I don't want the ridicule of not showing up. I think on social media, I tell everyone in the car that I'm on the way to the gym every morning as well. So when I don't go, I get messages like, well, where are you today, Mr. Mr. All Day Every Day Guy? You know, Mr. Never, never, never Take a Day Off. So there's an element of that. And with you, for me, it was, it was having someone I was accountable to. And that, that's more important than the food you do or don't consume, uh, the, the, the path that you follow. It's just knowing that you have to answer to someone and you can't let that person down makes it, makes it, it for me anyway, an easier process to follow. But isn't it the same though when we go to school and we need to listen to a teacher and we need to get good grades? It's the same as anything. Accountability, it doesn't matter where you are in life and what phase you are, you really need to have it. Most people... Most people, at least that I know, are not disciplined. Mm-hmm. They just don't have it. Environmental factors, community, stress of life, problems. Like, I think most, people's, most people deal with problems instead of finding no, solutions. It's, it's interesting you say that. I think, yeah. that every, I think everyone has discipline in some areas of their life, but they don't know how then to join it join that discipline to other areas. So there's something in their life. It may be a discipline because they love playing with their train set and they always want to play with a train set at 5 p.m. every day. It may be because they cook a dinner. They, you know, they have some form of uh, uh, systems and processes that they follow that has become a subconscious behavior. They don't think about it, you know? It's like I get up in the morning. I don't think about having a shower before I go to the gym. I just do it, you know? I don't think about cleaning my... I just do it. Before I go to bed every night, I put my gym gear out. I don't think about it. I just do it. And I think that everybody has those types of things in their life. It's just understanding I do have those, make, make it a conscious effort to understand that and say, okay, how do I 
how do I make that type of behavior or how do I transfer that type of behavior into, you know, the calories that I consume or the food that I eat or the way that I eat. And so the discipline for most people is that they need to get up and go to work because they have the responsibilities. Mm -hmm. That's discipline. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to your health, it's not discipline. Because why? why? Why is discipline for health always secondary? Why isn't it priority? Because... You know, you don't see instant results with health. It doesn't really matter. But with going to work and, you know, getting the money at the end. Do you believe that people are money driven? Um, some people are motivated by money, yeah. Some people are not, but some people are motivated. I think a lot of people are motivated by money. I think it's a, it's a large there's, there's, population there's, there's, there's of a people that are. There's a pursuit of money and there's a pursuit of, of dealing with the pain as well. It's like I, pursue, I, I have to get money to pay these bills yes. as opposed to I have to get money to live this glamorous lifestyle or whatever it yeah. is that they want. So it would be interesting to be able to change people's mindset and, and then get them to think that instead of being so money-driven and money-motivated, how about health-driven and health-motivated? Because if you are those two things and you can live a longer life, those other things could be easier to attain. But if you are trying to attain the wrong thing first and taking your health for granted, once you've attained this to a certain level and you've deteriorated your health, the money's not going to help you. Mm -hmm get better. And we've seen this in many people's situations, celebrities, non-celebrities. I've worked with clients whose family members are passing away. You know, death is around us all the time, you know, but how do we help people, you know, appreciate life more? Let's talk about some structures and strategies that people can use, because I think that maybe it sounds more daunting than it actually is. And I don't want to use me as the example because we can just lean into that every single time. And I think it's important that people know, you know, because there'll be people going, well, I'm a woman, I'm not a man. Or, I, you know, I, I gave birth two years ago or I do this type of the thing and my life's different because. And so everyone's got their yeah but, haven't they? So let, let's talk about some, some, some things that people can focus on. Okay. All right. Just, just to be really simple about stuff. Okay. If we if we're looking at our health, we don't know whether we're unhealthy, really unhealthy, or just okay. Where do we start on our journey of, of, of trying to become healthy? Mindset, mm -hmm. number one. Oh. I mean, you fix that, you fix most things. And um, it's funny because... So we don't need a nutritionist, we need a psychologist. Nutritionist is similar to a psychologist because oh. at the same time, a nutritionist, especially a holistic one like myself, you do mind, body, soul. So you're pretty much having to condition your mind first before you can even get into the physical aspects of health. Whenever I work with clients and with people, the one thing that they come to me first is always the problem. Mary, I have this problem. And because everyone's so different, like you say, like people's problems are not the same. What do you need to change first? You're not going to fix the problem. You're going to fix the mindset to the problem. So when I, when I work with them, I try to first understand why they're having these blockages in their life, like sugar addiction, you know, alcohol addiction, tobacco addiction, um, workaholism, which is like apparently like a, a very healthy addiction. But is it really though, if it, you're not getting enough sleep? So, you don't know, I don't know, that's a debatable topic, but I would say, you know, um, at the end of the day, I would always focus on the mindset first. I would always look at that as the primary focus First, try to understand why you are having those blockages. The second is then getting people to do a blood test. You know, there's a lot of nutritionists out there or people in the health space, coaches, who just would provide you a meal plan. Say, I want to lose weight. Give you a meal plan, just like 
for example, a personal trainer at the gym, they're not really qualified to give you health plans, meal plans per se, but they do it anyway. But it's really hard to give someone a meal plan when you haven't done the blood work. You so know, what, what, what is the blood work for? To understand deficiencies, so it could be vitamin mineral deficiencies, it could be, you know, a problem with your glucose levels, maybe you are pre-diabetic, you know, post-diabetic, like it could be uh, a many different uh, ways to, to, to understand, but without those blood biomarkers, how can you provide someone a meal plan? Food intolerances, food allergies, you can't go and give somebody a generic meal plan and expect everyone to just work the same way. So blood work is massively important, and I work with every client the same way. I would always do the blood work. Once I've gotten the blood work, I then um, understand where they're coming from, because as you know, our gut microbiome is all, all different, regardless if you're in the same family or not. And um, then I prepare for them a program and a protocol based on what their health goals are. Because I specialize in gut health, it's always focused on reducing gut inflammation. How do we do that in the simplest form possible? stop eating processed foods, stop eating refined sugars. Those are the two culprits for inflammation, always. Refined sugars and processed foods. All the things that taste nice. All the things you love. <laughs> <laughs> so you say to give those things up, you know, but that, that's... No, I wouldn't say give it up, but I think it's important to understand its place in life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, sugar and carbs have all been looked at as the enemy, but it isn't the enemy. It's, it's, it's the misuse of these, these, these foods that become so, mm -hmm. you know, you overindulge and not know how to manage it the day after, and you overindulge the day after and the day after, and you put on the weight. Mm -hmm. You know, you're using it as an outlet to relieve from stress or any kind of issues that you're having. You need to change your mindset around food. You can't use food as an outlet for dealing with a lot of your problems because we all have problems. And if food is always the outlet, then you're just going to get fat and unhealthy. People have, have said, you know, it's like making a sacrifice when you give these things up because they're the things you like. And it takes me back to my childhood where if you gave me an olive, there's no way I could put that in my mouth and eat it. It was disgusting. And I, I'm a kid, and you're giving me this bitter thing covered in oil. It's just like, no chance, you know. And my mum and dad would sit there eating them and taking the pips out, going, oh, they're delicious, aren't they, you know. And I'd be like, yeah. Brussels sprouts was something else. And I was a kid, it was just like, why are you making me eat them? And my mum would make me sit at the table and not leave the table until I'd eaten these Brussels sprouts. Punishing. And I was never going to like them. But here I am 40 years later, and I love Brussels sprouts, and I love olives. And so if you... If you think about it, it's like, is it a choice of understanding what we love that we're giving up? Or is it a way of looking into other things that we can love and enjoy even more? You know, um, a stick of celery on its own is not very nice. A stick of celery sprinkled with salt and pepper actually is quite nice. Um, soups made with bone broth. This is a great example because just recently I got into bone broth with you. Spence, go to drink some bone broth. And I'm so like, collagen also in bone broth is amazing. Great. It was just like, <laughs> why am I going to eat this? And these packs of bone broth arrived at my house that all went in the fridge, these blooming cartons of stuff. But put it into a soup with some celery and some um, fennel and some garlic, and all of a sudden I've got myself a really nice drink to drink. I think there's a, there's a real issue people have on giving up something because it's a sacrifice to give up rather than I get to, to eat something different or try something new or embrace something better. 
that's clearly the world of FMCG food marketing companies that have played a role in that, right? Yeah, I was just about to say, I think, you know, our generation is not as challenging as the generation is today. We have a child born every single day to this new society, to this new movement, to this new culture. And uh, ancient ancestral nutrition has just been lost in translation. We don't even eat farm to produce food anymore. We don't even know where the produce come from these days. You know, there are certain countries that still have herbicides and pesticides called glyphosate that are just toxic for the body. It causes cancer. It makes you sick. And sure, many countries have banned that, Middle East have, but there's still many countries that, that still use that, that herbicide and pesticide. And um, it makes it very challenging for the generation today to be able to focus on healthy eating because healthy eating is not the norm. You know, you need to have somebody say it in your face that that is something that you shouldn't be having. You need to grow up with parents that teach you the right way. I believe responsible parenting is super important. And it's hard in the Middle East, right, in, this, in, the, in the region that we live in, because they don't grow up with that same culture. The culture here is, is very different. They eat really late at night. Shisha is a, it's a normal part of their household. You know, they, they only fast in Ramadan it's like one time per year. Uh, and, the, and the rest of the year, it, it's like, you know, the kids are growing up with a certain type of luxury. So the parents are not home all the time to really care for their children. And because that's the case, our children are growing up in the way that they shouldn't be growing up. And that's the reason why they eat the way they do and, and, and get sick the way they do. Diabetes, let's give you an example. Um, NCDs, which are non-communicable uh, diseases, are 70% um, disease rate uh, in terms of the way they die in this region, in the MENA region. 70%. That is massive. That's the reason why most people die. And uh, respiratory problems, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, cancer, diabetes at teenage level. You know, so that's that's really young to be. And obesity is massive for children in this region. Like, I think parents need to wake up more than anything. And the reason why I do what I do and why I preach this every single day is because I want people to not forget ancestral nutrition, to not forget farm-to-table food. You know, we come from a generation where we still remember those things. So our goal and our responsibility, if we want to create an impact in the world, is to make sure that they don't forget either. You know, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. You said we, we come from a generation as if we're from the same generation. Well, we kind of, we kind of like are from the same generation. <laughs> <I> celebrate that <laughs> <laughs> a little win. Let's talk about um, <clears throat> nutrition and stress. Stress is the cause of many problems in the workplace. People burn out. They have all kinds of challenges, which means they they take time off work. There's an impact on a business, a group of people within a, in a business, very often due to stress. Now. There are the Joe Dispensers out there of the world and which will teach you about stress through meditation and how you cope with it. But let's talk about stress through nutrition. I've got a psychological issue with stress that was caused, okay? Actually, and I, I haven't even said this before, so, and I haven't said it to you either, So, and I've told you a lot. But when I had the extra kilos, I didn't want to go to the beach, all right? And I would sit and worry about that. And people would say to me, Spence, you're not fat for goodness sake. You know, you just, you know, you're not fat. But it, I, I would be really, really aware, really conscious. And it would really bother me and it would eat at me. And if, if Anna would say, hey, let's go to the beach, I'd be like, I don't want to go to the beach. Let's go and do something else. And she'd be like, well, why, why not? Why can't we go to the beach? And I, I didn't have the, <clears throat> the courage to tell her straight. 
And so that stressed me out quite a lot. With stress in, in people in the workplace, in their lives, how, how do we use food to de-stress us? Food is healing. Let's just remember that before anything else, right? But too much sugar causes glucose spikes. And glucose spikes causes you to want to eat more. It makes you really tired throughout the day. And when you're tired throughout the day, you develop brain fog, you're not very active at work, you forget many things, you are just not productive as a person. Now, um, I believe that food in general, like many people in the functional medicine space would tell you this, it is the number one most healing thing for your body. But people abuse food. So if I was to sit with someone who had, for example, 50 kgs overweight and they want to lose weight, the one thing that I would tell them is I would not tell them to stop eating sugar and stop eating carbs. I would tell them it's important to first understand how we can change your relationship with food. Because most people's relationship with food is pretty bad. Would you tell me that your relationship with food is amazing? No, it's better, but it wasn't. It's not great, no. Yeah, it's not great because? Because I use it as a, an outlet, you know? I, I, it takes my mind off things. Yeah, and like for other people, they have other forms of addiction. Food becomes their addiction because sugar makes you crave for that more. It gives you the instant hit of serotonin, dopamine, you know, what you need to feel good, but it doesn't last very long, so it's a short hit of happy times. When you end up in like a really bad situation at work, the first thing you want to do is get, grab carbs or have a pizza or go out with mates and, and have a glass of wine or have some ice cream or some chocolate that you, you know, tuck into. Why? Because of what it does to your, to your serotonin levels and your dopamine hits. It gives you that kick in, into your body that makes you want to crave it more. So instead of that, the release, the flip side of that is exercise because exercise also gives you those same feelings it's just that people don't f associate them so they find that painful they don't look as exercise as happiness they look exercise as torture but the problem is our society has conditioned us into thinking that working out and exercise is always meant to be painful and food and sugar and carbs and all of those ads of kfc and pizzas and donuts are the ones that are gonna give you pleasure. So really, it's society and media that has programmed our brains into thinking that, so that's the challenging part as to why we do those things. Now, your question going back to, how can we use food the right way to de-stress us? I would say, heal your relationship with food. I would say the next, find foods that are healthier but also give you that same kick. For example, you love sugar. Who yeah. said that? Who said that? I know so. <laughs> <laughs> you love sugar. And, uh, you know, most people would be lying when they say that they don't. You know, I mean, I would say the larger part of the population are addicted or prefer sugar over savory um, because it's it tastes amazing. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it does. It tastes amazing. But also there are other forms of sugar that people don't know alternative forms of sugar that can also give you that same release of happiness you know so you mean like I, stevia and stuff i taught you about monk fruit okay that's also remind pretty me good. of that again so uh monk fruit is just a, a a a type of fruit that has been discovered in asia and they found that um when they started consuming monk fruit it doesn't spike your glucose levels so they started using that as an alternative 
to the traditional refined sugars that people consume. Uh, the same with um, coconut sugars, manuka honey. These are all alternatives. Fruit, fruit. Why are why are, why aren't people consuming more fruit? You know. Now people also need to understand that there are certain um, fruits that spike your glucose levels, and there's some fruit that doesn't. So that goes back to the glycemic index, a high glycemic index and a low glycemic index. Do you know much about that? Tell me about which fruits spike the levels and which don't. So I would say that in general, if you're consuming an entire fruit, like an entire watermelon that nobody does, by the way, that will spike your glucose levels. But most people will only consume a portion of fruit. Mm -hmm. So which means that most fruit in general, because you're only consuming a portion of the fruit, it will not cause insane amounts of spikes. This whole concept about making sure that you're eating seven fruit servings of fruits and vegetables per day is in my view really unrealistic because a lot of people can't consume that much food you know as we get older uh, you're in your 15s now i'm in my 40s you know there has been a lot of science science backing and proven that we can't consume that many meals anymore because our bodies our organs is just not able to digest the food the same way the liver so which means that you need to eat less food and also the nutrients that we're getting from fruits and vegetables, because we're living in, a, in an import culture, import society, 40% uh, is stripped just as you remove it from farm to table. Farm to table, we lose 40% of the benefit of the of nutrients. The yeah. Okay. So, and we can't avoid that because we're not nope. in control of that process. But taking that into consideration, what fruits are good for me? Uh, banana is really good. Uh-huh. Uh, Oranges, uh -huh. watermelon, and papaya is great for people who have constipation issues. It's really good. I would say most fruits are very are incredibly healing, you know. But it's just that the the consumption of the fruit that people are consuming is just sometimes really high, and it's just like uh, because of the high amounts of 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 glucose spikes, is that's what's causing the problem. But I think in general, fruits have no issues with. I consume fruit in general and I love it. What are some common health misconceptions that you often face? All calories are created equal. All Ooh, calories what does are that not, mean? All calories are not created equal. Tell me about that. You can have a donut and you can have like uh, a meal of chicken and it would be like the same calorie. You can have like a chicken breast and a donut and have a same calorie. Would you consider those calories the same? No, I'd consider the, the donut a tastier calorie. Yeah, it's a tastier calorie, but it's a bad calorie. <laughs> yeah. So, but people think that automatically, let me give you an example. Oh, wait, if we've got 100 calories of chicken and 100 calories of a donut, that's the same. Yeah, people just think like all calories are equal. So let me give you an example of a Caesar salad. Most people go outside and eat at a restaurant and they'd have a really nice Caesar salad, automatically think it's healthy. People automatically think a salad is healthy. But the problem with a lot of the salads that when you're eating outside is all the dressings that they put in it. Mm -hmm. So a standard bowl of salad, a Caesar salad, is equivalent to a thousand calories. Did you know this? What the? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of calories, but people eat that and they think it's healthy. But actually, it's not healthy because it's a lot of it's a lot of dressing. It's a lot of Parmesan. You're eating the bread croutons in there. So yeah, when you think about it, that's a lot of calories. But you think it's okay. It's it's a salad. I felt good for the day, but really, you already consumed way more than the calorie intake wow. for your lunch meal. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say like all. Give me calories, another one. Give me another one. All calories are created uh, equal. Um, 
Another health myth is that uh, you actually have to go to the gym to to be fit. That's a, a very common one, which I think most people no. I think movement is all you need to get fit. Don't you think so? 10,000 steps a day? Like people have been programmed into thinking that the gym is the only place that will help you lose weight. But actually, if you just walk the 10,000 steps a day, scientifically proven, you will also lose the weight. Working on a construction site, 12 yeah, hours a day. Same thing. Yeah, construction working site. You know, movement, movement, just movement. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've been asked some of these questions by people. It's really interesting what they've asked me to ask you. Someone asked, can you suggest a simple yet nutritious recipe or snack for busy individuals looking to improve their diet? Yes. Um, avocados. I love avocados. Yeah. Add a bit of salsa on top. Sauce? Uh, dressing? No, like a salsa. Like you can oh, salsa. Create, create your own salsa, like tomatoes and coriander, a bit of uh, onion. That's a really great uh, snack on the go. Uh, nuts. I mean, a lot of people can be uh, intolerant to peanuts, but nuts is a really great snack. I, I love to recommend that. I love creating fruit bowls. Those are Hold on a minute, because I want to get this nut thing right, because I love nuts. Yeah. And you go to the gas station, you get those tins of nuts, and there's like salted cashews or unsalted cashews. Or... I would always go for the raw ones because they're way better. Mm-hmm. The ones that are usually salted obviously will cause uh, inflammation, and you don't want that. So anything raw is always better, so I would definitely recommend that. Fruit bowls are the most easiest ones to consume, so I would always cut a papaya in half, add a lot of Greek yogurt in there, sprinkle with more even fruit, and there you go. That's a, an amazing healthy snack. You specialize in gut health. Yeah. Okay. So, and we're going through a journey like that with my daughter at the moment, but we'll keep her out of this conversation. Gut health. Out of 10 people, how many people struggle with gut problems? All of them. All of them have some sort of inflammation. Every single human being in the world is a walking inflammation. Okay. (laughs) It's facts. You know, it could be mold and mildew toxins that you're breathing from the air. It could be your air condition. It could be like you're not breathing properly anyway. It could be paint and construction. It could be from anything, you know, but we're always inflamed. And the reason why a lot of people are um, walking with, you know, brain frog, stress, anxiety, fear, is because they're chronically inflamed and don't know about it. Thyroid issues. A lot of the clients that I work with have thyroid issues. They don't know about it. Stay with me on guts. Gut is connected to thyroid, by the way. So the gut's connected to the thyroid. The gut is connected to everything, including your brain. Okay, so school me then, because I don't understand this. Gut, I just, I automatically assume gut health problems means people have got, I don't know, an IBS type problem, or they've got some form of, of, you know, leaky bowel or stuff like that. What, what is yeah, that's health? another misconception, uh, Spencer, and it's good that you spoke about that topic because I think a lot of people get this wrong. They automatically think that because they have gut-related issues, it's not connected to any other part in your body. In traditional Chinese medicine, they always look at um, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine. When you see them and they do like these pressure points and they, they check on you and they... Um, They always, they know just from the points of your feet if you have a liver problem, if you have a kidney problem, because they're all interconnected. Every single organ in our body is connected to our brain. That's the reason why it's called the gut-brain axis. 
So if there's any issues in your gut, it's automatically connected to issues in your brain. Right. You're obviously going to be able to function well. Mm -hmm. And if your brain is not functioning well, you're going to have thyroid issues. So automatically people assume just because they have gut-related issues, it has no connection with any other problem with their body. Another thing is a lot of people that I work with have acid reflux issues. Mm, I used as, to have that. As they get older, they develop the reflux. And it could be from a variety of different reasons, but also, you know, they are not able to digest their food better. They're not able to keep the food in. They become intolerant to so many things. Our intolerance to food changes every six months. So it means that if we're not testing often, you could be intolerant to things that you never knew you were intolerant to because you didn't test for years but you could be consuming this product and it's causing inflammation and then you start developing acidity issues. Talk to me about living a better life. I wanna focus on the last, the last point in this conversation on, on two things. Number one, the steps I need to follow if I wanna live and all of our viewers and listeners today wanna to live a healthier life than they're leading. What are some simple steps that everyone can follow just to get themselves in a better position than maybe they are right now? And we'll come on to the second question after that. Okay, uh, first tip is uh, understand your food intolerances because if you understand your food intolerances, uh, you will reduce inflammation. Number two is learn to manage your stress because stress is the number one cause of disease. And, and when you get sick and you don't know how to heal yourself, um, it then creates all sorts of havoc in your body, um, which you can't then control. Next, movement, walk. I never ever tell people that they need to go to the gym. I just tell you, hit your 10,000 steps a day, you will stay healthy forever. Uh, Clint Eastwood said this actually in one of his statements because he's in his 90s now and he's super healthy. And the one thing they asked him, what's your secret to longevity? And they said, I just get up every morning with my wife and I walk. You know, it's the same in the blue zones, they walk. So it's not rocket science and how to get healthy. It's just that you need to get up and you need to walk. It's challenging because we obviously live in a country and maybe many other countries in the world too that, you know, walking is not the first mode of transport. Uh, in the UK, for example, when we go there, walking is our, our is the thing that we do the most and mm. we love it, you know, because we we are here all the time and we're always in our car and then we, we go to the places that we need to go to because there's a lot of like pathways where it's just not easily accessible that you can't walk. Uh, so so movement is, is another thing. Um, I would say how you manage your mindset, super, super important. Uh, I would say uh, supplements, really big. Uh, the reason I say, I really, the reason I say supplements is massive is, be let me tell you why, is because we're not getting the nutrients that we get from the food alone. And we need supplements to be able to compensate from those nutrients that we're not getting in food. And because 40% is depleted from the nutrients, from the soil in general, um, and I heard this talk when I was at the, at the expo and they're talking about it a lot in COP28, uh, you know, soil degradation, the nutrients in the food alone, uh, farming, agriculture. It's not the same as what it was like centuries ago. Uh, supplements are developed because we need to compensate for the things that we're not getting in the food alone. Um, people, for example, don't love bone broth. So they'd rather take a collagen supplement so they don't need to drink bone broth. You know, I know so many people that You're I- You're telling me there's a supplement I could take instead of bone broth? Yeah, you can take a collagen supplement. Thanks for holding <laughs> that one back. <laughs> Although, you know, I would always recommend food first and then supplements second and never supplements first mm. and food second. But yeah, I mean, most people can't, for example, stomach pills and don't want to take pills. 
So yes, food is always mm. the first uh, mode uh, that they need to focus on and then take supplements. But yeah, I mean, I, I believe heavily on supplements and I've been taking them for years myself. You know, there are certain supplements that activate certain things in your body that you n- can't get from food anymore, like NMN, for example. So um, uh, that and uh, sleep. Sleep. How important is sleep? So important. So important. Uh, and I think people take that one for granted. And obviously we have very different chronotypes and not everyone the same. People can have can run on less hours and other people need more. But the general rule of thumb is you need to be able to sleep six hours a night to be able to function and to be, give your body enough time to rest and repair. Because when are, when are we resting and repairing if not through sleep? And if you're only getting two hours or three hours per night, you're not giving your body enough time to to repair and to and like anything, you know, a, a car needs charging, it needs petrol. Our bodies needs the same. Mm-hmm. So some clear and easy steps to follow there. Easy to follow. The commitment to do that in the first place is where the challenge lies. Last couple of questions. When we talk about the risk that that all of these issues are on, are on companies. I really want to try and under, help people understand that. You have you worked for a law firm. So in a law firm, there'll be a bunch of partners, there'll be senior managers, and then everybody else in the business. And in a law firm, let's say there's 100 partners for the sake of argument. Each one of those is responsible for a different part of the business, a different number of clients that work within that business. And some of those 100 partners could be living very unhealthy lives. The, the, the risk to the business of living an unhealthy life is a great one in my mind. Yeah, it's totally, I, you know, it's good because like I seen firsthand what it's like to work in corporates, hence why I understand corporate wellness and I, I know why it's important for leaders in corporations to take care of their staff. Uh, I work with high net worth individuals, CEOs, entrepreneurs like yourself, as you know this. And the reason that I do so is because like, if I can change their mindset and the way they are and their health, and they see it firsthand like you have seen it firsthand, they will make it a priority for their staff because like what's retention rate in most organizations? Well, one in four employees leave every year. Yeah, so why, 20, why? 25%. Why, why are employees leaving? They don't feel valued. Mm-hmm. Don't they feel, feel connected, don't have sense don't, of mission and purpose, right, don't they enjoy don't feel, the work. They yeah. don't, most people don't enjoy their work. They go to the nine to five job because mm-hmm. they go to a nine to five job because they need to pay their bills. So at least when you're, they're going to a nine to five job and a job that they don't enjoy, you might as well make it wor- worth their while by yeah. actually showing that you care about your employees. I'm going to give you an example. Um, last week I finished a um, corporate wellness for a company, a massive organization in the event space. And event space is really like high stress job, okay? And they're working day in, day out, uh, like on weekends. And when I started with them at the beginning of the year, they were very resistant to change. They didn't want to do it. They felt like even more like, why is this company doing this for me? You know, this company has been around for a really long time and they've never done anything corporate wellness related. But this time, this leader decided that he wanted to do that, okay? And um, now, uh, 11 months down the road, and we had our final activation for the year, they were changed people. We had people who lost 40 kgs. We had people who were like super dedicated to wellness. We were people who were like enjoyed camaraderie. There were people who didn't even speak and now speak, you know? And it became a family. 
more than just employees clicking in and checking in and going to work. It mm -hmm. became more about like, I care about you. And I think when a leader, and it's every leader's responsibility to do this, to create and show that you care about your employees, it will then create that for other employees. They want to care about others in the, in the company. And when you do that, you then build a thriving business because they want to stay in the organization because you show that you care about them. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, that's my ultimate goal when I work with corporate wellness, uh, in corporate wellness and with these organizations because I've seen working with them what it's like from 11 months, 10 months, 12 months, how we start as strangers but then end as family. And I think that's priceless. Mm, well said. All right, I'll let you do your shameless plug for your products. <laughs> So I, uh, I recently launched my own supplements brand called, brand called Be That Life and uh, Integrative Health. I'm launching out with four products and being someone who's so big on like the cleanest products ever, going back to, you know, having my son to have his problems at such a young age, I've always been focused on the cleanest of products ever, mainly because I also work with a lot of clients like yourself who have major gut-related issues and can't stomach most supplements because a lot of them have always ingredients that are not good for your health. Just like when you go to a supermarket and I would always recommend to always pick products that are either five ingredients or less, I would say that the same with supplements. If you're going to go with supplements that have way more than five uh, ingredients in there, I wouldn't always recommend that you take that. Um, my products are only one ingredient in every supplement that I have, which means that you're only getting the purest of the purest quality. We also have a patented enzyme for one of our products, which is known to extend your telomere markers. Now, the telomeres are our longevity markers. And as we get older, uh, they're like shoelaces that at the end of each shoelace, they have, um, you know, the, the connector. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, they shorten. The wonderful thing about our patented enzyme is that it keeps it long and lengthy and healthy, which means that it uh, pr uh, prevents uh, inflammation and the growth of tumors, which then develop to cancer. So you're telling me if I take the supplements, it's going to prevent inflammation and it will, it will reduce the length of the, the what are they called? The telomeres. The telomeres. Yes. And it, it helps your DNA repair itself, which is what you want, because you can then live a long and healthy life. So your DNA will repair itself and it will help uh, reduce my risk of cancer. Yeah, and you can eat McDonald's every day and you won't get sick. <laughs> I want that one. <laughs> get me that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, I think everybody wants God, that one. Might have to oh, cut that bit out. That <laughs> no, you know what? My business partner said that in his podcast with that particular supplement. It's true. Don't cut it out. Please keep it in there. Alex, Alex, McDonald's every day as long as we that, take these don't supplements. Cut, don't cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really super excited. Uh, Are they launched now? They're ready for sale. Where uh, can I, where will, can people get them? They will be launched. Uh, they can get them on www. We don't say that anymore. Okay. They can get okay. them on what? They can get them on bethatlight.co. And uh, it's going to be launched this uh, this month, so I'm super super excited. For anybody that wants to pre-register, they can because now it's the website is up. They can pre-register uh, to to be the first to ever get the supplements that will just keep you healthy for life. Awesome stuff, Mary. Thank you for coming to join us on the show today. Thank you so much, Spencer. I really appreciate it.